I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Part 2 of Problem Solving Precision Pain Points, is being brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to Topcon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and Topcon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, the business relationship formed between precision farming dealers and farmers can be a complicated one. Farmers often have certain expectations and dealers have certain limitations. However, cultivated, well-managed partnerships can be immensely profitable for both parties. Quality product may get you in the door of your dealership, but it's service after the sale that keeps you coming back. In today's Strip Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, we continue to dig down and dissect the makings of a good dealer-farmer relationship with a panel of three farmers and three precision equipment specialists I moderated to discuss their business relationships, chronicling solutions to adoption pain points, prioritizing technology needs versus wants, and the value of building two-way trust. Well, here this week, we, we've heard a lot about uh, training as well. A lot of good discussion and, and perspectives on that. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the dealers on this one, but maybe you can share a little bit about the scope and depth of the customer training options and offerings that you guys have. So we offer a, a spring and a fall clinic, like probably most people do. We've got a Nice size building with a little front showroom. Uh, we can fit probably 30 guys in the front. Uh, and we'll go through every step of the, uh, the 2020, which is our main platform. And, you know, you, we, we get 30 guys up there when we should have, you know, 70 in there uh, in the spring anyway. And uh, that's what we use. It's been beneficial with us so far. The main thing that I, I learned when I was at the OEM was every, every spring and fall that I worked there, it, it, you know, yes, I, I got more knowledge, so it seemed easier to me, but every spring and fall got easier. Well, when I, I jumped in the cab, I just didn't, you know, immediately reach over and start pushing buttons and then jump out. What good does that do? You know, so if, you know, every, every time you go someplace, don't reach over them and don't push the buttons. Let, let them learn and teach them. You know, and I honestly believe that's why every spring and fall got a little easier is because, you know, you were educating them. You know, the simple button pushes, you know, they started to learn on their own. So taking that back to the clinics, you know, we go through the monitor. And, you know, some of the guys, you know, if, if he would come and say, watch us go through every single button push, yes, that's very painful to some people. Um, but the other people, that's exactly what they need. So a clinic, you know, and I've got a lot of guys that say, you know, I'll pay you to just come out and show me, uh, you know, before I get started because they don't like that clinic environment. So um, we use we use both options. So I heard someone this morning in uh, one of the presentations talking about training mention that they had uh, better luck with a smaller group and that they have more interaction and more questions out of the customers. And we've seen that same thing. So our training has shifted just a little bit 
and we've we've really kind of focused at smaller groups. Uh, we try to do a two-hour meeting and feed them lunch and leave some time open for questions. Uh, it really has worked well for us, but I think it's important that you get that dialogue, that you get the guys asking questions, because you can sit and train them and train them and train them on things you might think they need to know, but if you don't get feedback from the customer you're working with and find out what they're doing or what they want to know, you're not going to solve their problem. And I'll add to that, you know, it, it's no different, you know, asking 15 customers to come into a clinic than it is us going to a, a, a class with 15 people. You know, we're, we're shy for the first, you know, we're going to be there for two days and, you know, we're shy for the first four or five hours. Well, the clinic will only last two. So, and, and to go on to that point, you know, a lot of those guys, like I said, they'll, they'll, they'll pay me $100, $200 just to come out for a couple hours because they feel more comfortable and they, they open up and ask the questions that they wouldn't ask before. So I think it's no different than us uh, us going to a, a class and, and not speaking up for the first half of it either. So uh, <clears throat> For us, the training is very uh, customer specific. If someone's buying a, uh, <clears throat> for example, maybe an air cart, um, there are several different precision packages that he could get on that. And for us, the training starts with reaching out to the manufacturer and uh, doing homework on the small things. So if he picks package A, what is the cable going to look like that shows up with it? How many hydraulic ports and some of that basic stuff to start with a manufacturer? Because there are times where manufacturers may change things without effectively communicating with dealers. So you may sell something telling them it's got a, a two-pin uh, mail when it comes in with a different one, um, things like that. But from there, we would let him contact another farmer who has maybe purchased that item. And because whenever the farmers talk, they're going to tell them the good and the bad. So there's a lot of learning that can happen there. And from there, it'll be uh, really specific as far as running them through the motions of calibrations and um, uh, more specific items like uh, uh, the mapping and the rates and, and how to change your rates within that, whether it's a, a Trimble Ag Leader or 2630. So for us, it's very specific to what the customer gets, whether it's a planter attachment or uh, you know a fertilizer cart. So. We kind of start at the manufacturer level, let that farmer get connected with a product specialist at the factory. That kind of gives them a warm feeling, letting them know that you do have a backup plan if you can't uh, tackle a certain scenario. So then from, from our farmers, how are, how are you setting training expectations of your dealers? And, and are those expectations being met? I shouldn't answer that. <laughs> no. Um, from the standpoint, I think everything we've done that's been outside of our realm of things, uh, that dealer has either came in and, and did hands-on training or at least offered a training package where we can come and and uh, uh, participate in. So, And I think that's a good thing, especially hands-on, any type of hands-on training you can do. Uh, with my dealer I deal with, I'm going, no. I think they do a bad job. When my background is as a PFS, I shouldn't be getting phone calls from my neighbor who just went to the training and say, hey, can you come over and actually show me what the hell they're talking about? Because sometimes they need that one-on-one, -on -one, interpersonal, go, go to the shop, go over it, look at it, figure it out, get more questions, pick up the phone, call in another guy. The one-on-one, -on -one, I think, is by far the most helpful for most farmers. 
old, young, it doesn't matter. It just helps one-on-one. Can we throw you under the bus, Adam? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> the, we have a very unique setup. So it's not going to be applicable to everyone in, in this room. And in fact, more times it's, it's not going to be applicable. Uh, I cannot recall the last time I've been to an HGS formal customer training. It's been several years. However, I am provided resources that the average customer probably does not. Uh, maybe things that are uh, uh, confidential to our, our supplier that, that they just stay in the dealer's house. Uh, Adam, Adam will allow me access to that and maybe direct training because most of the things that customer trainings, I, I've already figured out on my own. And I'm kind of in my own little world, so a lot of times it just kind of cuts the middleman out. But at the end of the day, he provides me access to the things that I want. And uh, and sometimes people above his dealership at ROM that, that help me directly and, and know who I am and know how our relationship works and are okay with that. So without him organizing that, it wouldn't be available. So it's a very unique situation, but it works out very well. I have access to anything that I that I want. We'll get back to the panel discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. And also welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant with Topcon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses the motivation behind the momentum for optical sensing technology in strip-till. So, looking at agriculture today and why optical sensor technology are so important, and when we're looking at developing these technologies, the matters that we have to consider. We have diverse cropping systems when we're trying to develop optical sensor technologies, whether we're here in Kansas or in the I States or in Wisconsin or anywhere across the Midwest or the globe, there's many approaches to farm management that can be used to optimize production within a local environment. Those are kind of the little cues that an agronom human agronomist develops over time after working in a farm for, for a considerable amount of their life. And then we this, what this requires of our optical sensor technology development is that it requires it to be modular. It has to be able to adapt to the specific cropping system it's being applied to whether it's strip till, no-till, ridge till. There's a number of different uh, types of tillage programs and management programs that these sensor technologies will have to be able to adapt to. And one of the reasons why there's been so much interest in optical sensor technologies or sensor technology as a whole in precision agriculture is the increasing input costs and how they're creating tighter margins, making it more difficult to be profitable on the farm. And if we're just looking at it from an agronomist standpoint and dealing with technologies, it really requires us as nutrient management specialists to have very acute knowledge of the nutrient variability that we see on your farm. And then what happens then is we have to be able to make nutrient recommendations that are just the right rate applied at the right time in order to help reduce our input costs without sacrificing yield, which ultimately will improve profit per acre. Well, thank you, Ray, for your insight, and again to Topcon Agriculture for supporting this podcast series. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from the panel on how farmers are setting precision training expectations with their dealers. 
so obviously everybody sitting up here uh, is interested in growth, uh, and that's that's a big part of developing and advancing with precision. I'd like to hear from from everybody on what are they seeing as far as the potential for future opportunities for growth, and whether it's in the relationship you have with each other, uh, that specific dealer customer dynamic with precision in general. What are you looking for? Whether it's from a service side, a product side, love to hear from from what you guys have to say. So I think one of the things that's really important there is to really understand who your customer is, what their needs are, and, and how you can fit that. Uh, one of the ways we've went way off track, I would say, uh, from the norm on this, we, we actually have started up grower peer groups. And Josh is one of the members in one of our grower peer groups also. Uh, we, we get together geographically non-competing farmers from across the state or across a few states and quarterly, we have them in a meeting room, uh, about eight to 10 in each group. Uh, we've got two groups running right now. We're looking at starting up a third one, but these guys are getting together and there's nothing magical that I'm sharing with them, but being in the room, it allows me to deepen that relationship and I can facilitate the conversation and help them talk to each other, share best business practices, benchmark financials, things that they can't do at the coffee shop and to really get better at business. Because in the, in the long run, if Josh is successful in his business, I'll be successful in mine. So if I can take care of his needs and help him meet his needs, whether it's specific to precision agriculture or whether it's helping him uh, get his pencil really sharp and figure out how to lower his cost of production somewhere else, that's going to benefit me in the long run. You know, I talked to a couple guys, you know, with the, the whole precision planning deal, uh, we were unsure about, you know, being our main bread and butter. Um, <clears throat> worried about growth, worried about staying in business at all, being that that was almost 50% of our business. Um, so we looked to kind of, well, I looked to kind of diversify um, what we were doing. So I've kind of got, a, like I said, a special situation. So uh, we went out and found a couple different uh, companies that we can sell back to ourselves. So, you know, if the plant's going to go out and spend $1,000 on something, uh, they can spend $1,000 with me. That profit stays within the company. We're employee-owned. You know, that, that, that affects us all because uh, I made more more money on my side. Product expansion um, without losing the focus on what we're already good at. There's the key. You can't take on too many things and, and lose your focus on what you're good at. So that's one thing that we're going to be working on. But, you know, word of mouth is is by far, I want to say, better than any ever advertisement. I, we don't do any advertisement. I think we should. Um, but word of mouth is free, and it's by far the most successful. Because when I came down uh, to Van Horn, there were people that knew my name that I've never seen before in my life and farmed with all John Deere. I would, I would have never ran into them. Otherwise, but how the hell did they know who I was? Well, everybody talks and uh, and everybody knows that, you know, and he's he said my name many times to different customers that, that I've built some relationships with. And even coming down here, a couple names came up that I honestly haven't talked to since I left uh, Clinton. And I'm going to go hit those guys up because I didn't even think, you know, they were still interested. So like I said, word of mouth is, is by far, uh, it's slow, don't get me wrong, it may be the best and cheapest uh, growth uh, option we have. The word of mouth could be the most damning thing too. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've all experienced that by making the wrong guy mad, and then your SOL comes to work. I think one of the things, as far as growth is concerned, is is need to key in on 
some of the things that are happening in your area and I'll give you an example for in, in our area of Ohio it's nutrient management whether that's in the Grand Lake watershed or I'm close to Lake St. Mary's and you know Adam's got a key thing there is is and I like that idea of the peer groups but you know we've we've gotten some of we do agronomic services as well so kind of the neat thing is is we've got some of our uh, uh, crop consulting clients in small groups we get together and do a little something similar we've never done it on the technology side but you know we go to those guys and then present the idea to them all right what about variable rating your manure what about variable rating your fertilizer and some of your nutrients what about doing this and that's led to some more you know technology and precision sales as well there's always room for growth and they say if you're not growing you know you're moving backwards so there's there's always room for that. Um, I feel like throughout the years, the, the precision market is always improving. There's always new displays. There's always something to upsell or an opportunity to do more with what the customer has, you know, whether it's selling him another display because he just got a new tractor, what that is. But I think you really need to focus in on your customer relationships. Everyone has those key customers. And now is a really good time. You know, every dollar counts right now. So it's a really good time to key in on those customers, improve those relationships. Um, I know uh, JT said it earlier, earlier um, employees are looking to improve their quality of life. And if you can be an asset like that to your customer, improve their quality of life, get to know them very well, you could be that stepping stone that helps them get to that next level. And if you can be that guy, you're going to solidify sales to not only him, but the word of mouth of what you're doing is going to quickly spread. You know, uh, this is my my customer hat on. And sometimes we think growth, we think new customers. But Adam and his relentless sales staff are always after me on different things in my operation, uh, such as a bin management system or a UAV or they're always they're trying to grow within their customers, which I think is important. Sometimes we, we get focused on thinking we're only selling one thing. We the only way to grow is to have more customers instead of the customers you have. Look at the holes that you you have there that you can still help them on on other avenues. Well, excellent. Um, let's have a round of applause for our panel here. <laughs> And we do have a few minutes here if there are some additional questions uh, that anybody in the audience would like to pose to, to anyone up here. So I guess two part, one to the dealers, one to the customers. Would you find it beneficial for the training, like you said you haven't been there in five years or so, to offer two different tiers? One to the expert, you know, that this is more advanced and one, you know, I guess dumb it down to the basics for the other customers that are there. I'll go ahead and start on this one. I guess I can't completely answer that question, but it's not that I'm not invited to customer trainings. I want to make that clear. I'm always invited. I frankly ask, generally Adam, but I'll ask anyone at HTS, do I, am I going to learn something? I've got to travel five hours to get there. It's usually, you know, a day and a half to two day trip. So I really need to make sure I'm going to get a value out of it. And the, the honest answer is no. And that's why I haven't been attending. It doesn't mean there's not a value in those trainings, but you know, I, as a as an associate dealer, I generally know the things that are happening at a customer training. So, if there was an op, an offering for an uh, advanced training, it's certainly something I would look into. I can't say f for sure, but uh, 
it's whatever Adam would tell me to do. I just kind of trust him at this point. He tells me when it's worth my time. And uh, like coming to this event here, you know, he he called and asked. He said, I'm not his first choice, but uh, but he was getting desperate. But he said, it's worth your time. You will learn things there. So I just trusted him, and, and here I sit. So we do um, kind of a two-step approach as far as for planners, combines, it's, you know, it, it is or it isn't. Um, so we'll offer say, I don't remember what the time frame was, say two hours in the morning uh, for precision planning, of course, uh, for monitoring. You know, if you've just got the monitoring or uh, or row clutches, you know, th I want to say the, the simpler type setups, we'll offer that in the morning. Something that, you know, he or somebody with a V-Drive planner or, or full setup's not going to come to because they're, they're bored. They know how to operate. They know how to do the basic functions. So then, you know, those guys come first, you know, the afternoon guys will, you know, for the electric drives, the more complex planners, liquid systems, so on and so forth, we'll offer that in the afternoon. So obviously we'll all share lunch together. And then the, the morning guys, you know, they'll go home. They're more than welcome to stay to see what what they could have if they wish or if they're overwhelmed then you know we've had some guys just get up and say i i can't do it and there they go um so you know those afternoon guys we're not just killing them with the stuff they already know um and it's it's worked out pretty well for us to prove a little bit of the the clinic uh attendance that way we've went to in in our dealership we went to basically a two-tiered system similar to uh what bruce said we either do it on different days or else we'll have the uh, basic in the morning and then more advanced in the afternoon and then what we do with the more advanced guys uh we'll try and get in on a little more troubleshooting stuff maybe that they can you know troubleshoot help troubleshoot some of their own problems if it should arise. The other thing we do is throw a little bit of new product introduction in with the more advanced guys because they're ahead of the game and more on the bleeding edge. So what's the next step? Where do they go to next? So we throw some of that in the mix as well, and they seem to really like that. For us, uh, like I said, our training is very customer-specific. So the advanced and beginner kind of weeds itself out. Um, there's some guys that may end up training us, and then there's other guys that uh, you really have to follow through with and, and really hold their hand along the way. So for us, it kind of sorts itself out. But we do definitely see the, the leading edge guy and then the beginner. Time for probably one more question out there if anybody's got one. This one's probably more reference to the grower side. Um, everybody kind of initiated or discussed about a safety net. Um, we always struggle with our dealership. What is the true expectation of that safety net? When is that cutoff point in season? You know, 11 o'clock, one in the morning. What is your true expectations of good service throughout the planning season when you're going? Because, you know, guys run all day long at the dealership level. You guys as growers run all day and night long when's it better just to pull the plug and say let's hit her in the morning what are your expectations i guess it as from the grower or farmer side it just depends on what the problem's going to be if it's if it's something simple and i know i can call my buddy and get an answer fine or that but I think on the farmer's side of it, I at least would appreciate an avenue, whether I get a live body or not, to leave a message so when you get in in the morning or your texts get ready to roll in the morning, they at least got a heads up that, okay, farmer A has a problem, farmer C's got this issue, 
you take that, you take that. Some of this can be addressed quick over the phone and let's get it knocked out rather than me having to wait till, oh, it's a 7.30, maybe they're in, maybe I'll spend my 10 or 15 minutes calling. My expectation is at least provide an avenue that we can leave you a uh, you know message or, or present the problem to you that you can have a heads up on it. Mine's about 200,000. That's what I spent. I didn't get the service I wanted. Now with Bryce, I don't spend $200,000. I spend 10, 20. I don't expect him to be my becking call. But I know you guys have families. We have families. I work 48 hours straight planting corn. I expect service the first 18 hours. When I, when I first put, put it in the ground, I want to be able to pick up the phone if I have a problem that next 18 hours and have an able body to talk to me. Now, if it's 10 o'clock at night, I'd probably be going home anyways. So there's got to be a cutoff there, somewhere 8, 10. It's that first get-go. If I've been planting for three days and I break down, I don't expect you right there. I mean, it's, it'd be nice. <laughs> but I don't expect it, but, but it's that first day. Every farmer is, we are, we are the damnation of our own bodies. We will literally kill ourselves to fix a problem so we can get going, whether it's too wet, too dry. Any scenario out there, if we make the decision to pull the trigger and put it in the field, we want to go now, which puts you guys in a bad, bad place. I understand that. I was in your shoes for a while. So I'm not a grower, but I'll answer. Like I said, we've talked, met before, and I've been in your shoes as well, um, and I know exactly what you're, what you're asking. Um, so just from what I would do was, you know, if I do get a call, obviously if I'm still on the road and if I'm within exit distance with them and, and it's worth going then i'll go but you know if i'm already home and, and i've been you know get home at seven o'clock and i've been home for an hour and the guy is you know 45 minutes away as loaded as there is as on fire as you can make him asking the question can i come see you in the morning um in most of the time they would say yeah you know come see me in the morning or and, and maybe i got lucky with a lot of guys you know you know like with him when when i was working on the case side helping him a little bit more um they were a little more understanding you know i know when everybody's like that when they have a fire they want you to come put it out freaking midnight well i'm sorry <laughs> i'm probably not going to get up out of bed at midnight come fix your planter i mean call me call me bad on service uh you can't even do what you want but um there, there was always just a, a fine line, and I don't think you're probably going to get the answer you want, but um, I always just kind of took it one at a time. I only had one guy, um, and you guys will call me a liar, one guy in five years uh, rip on me about not answering my phone. And, um, it, and it was on a Sunday afternoon, I was tired, and I didn't answer it. Um, and when I saw him that next day... Um, I thought he was kidding at first, but then I sensed his tone, and and um, our relationship kind of changed a little bit for the better, believe it or not, and uh, um, still getting good business out of him. So um, I don't think there's a, there's a, a definite answer there, but um, it was always just kind of I felt in each each situation out on on what the issue was. Now, when I was talking about a safety net earlier, I wouldn't uh, reference it so much to time as the as the steps of progress uh, of, of fixing a, a real problem. Uh, we all know there's general problems that start in the field after we've been in the field for two or three days, but I'm talking about a, a fifteen or $20,000 system of some sorts uh, upon install doesn't work on a supported platform. 
and I've exhausted my resources, and me and Adam have been through this. I exhaust uh, the techs at HTS or Adams himself, and even tech support at our at our supplier. At that point, I need more help. What can you do for me at this point? So this is not a, a middle of the night thing. It's just a but. But there is a time expectation. I can't precisely tell you when it is. If it's uh, February and we're on a new install, we can be a little bit more relaxed. If it's April, and you know, farmers in Missouri tend to hesitate sometime to purchase a major item right before spring, if anybody's ever experienced that. Uh, well, we can't wait four days before we call engineers at the company. We need to be, you know, we've, we've chewed on it till noon and nobody's made any progress. It's time to, to get me that help, the big help. You know, we got the big dog, so to speak. That's the safety net that I'm talking about that, that I really need. Thank you again to our panelists for sharing their perspectives on the makeup of a profitable, productive, precision farming dealer-customer relationship. And again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlecka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill, F-A-R-M-R, and on our strip-till farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on January 4th for the first episode in our 2019 podcast series. And for each of the panelists, Topcon Agriculture, Ray Acevedo, and our entire staff here at Strip Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>